So, over the course of this retreat so far, I've been emphasizing how all four of the Brahma Vihara practices work together to give us a very holistic and powerful support for this resilience of heart and mind, which I'm naming as the capacity to live with some degree of ease, no matter what life brings us. And just to acknowledge again that because this is a very short retreat, we only have time just to dip into each of these qualities. But I'm hoping that you'll get enough of a flavor of what they all are, that you will be inspired to continue practicing with them after the retreat ends. So this afternoon, I'd like to move on to compassion. And first, just to give a, a little bit of context for how compassion relates to the other three. So metta, as you know, the first of the four, is what we've been orienting to so far. It's that basic quality of kindness, friendliness, goodwill. And we cultivate it, we develop it to become more and more unconditional, ultimately without preference. So when that metta has become at least somewhat stable and steady, we can turn it directly towards pain, distress, stress, suffering. And then that metta flowers as karuna, compassion. So compassion is the capacity to turn towards our own and to others' pain without losing balance, not falling into overwhelm, not shutting down and disconnect. And probably goes without saying, this is not easy, but with the resources of mindfulness and metta, we can start to uncover and to release what gets in the way of compassion so that it can more fully blossom. Because of, as I've been trying to emphasize, kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, equanimity, these are the natural states of our heart, our natural home, our natural abiding place, when we've released the obscurations, the distortions, the hindrances that block our ability to connect. So again, just to emphasize, cultivating compassion doesn't mean trying to manufacture an emotional response that's not naturally there. It's more about gently releasing what's getting in the way of the compassion. So how do we actually practice compassion? Well, in the insight tradition that we're part of, traditionally it's done similar to metta, by silently reciting words that evoke that quality, that willingness to turn towards suffering, and with the wish to be free from suffering, and to help relieve it where possible. And this last aspect is important, because sometimes compassion is misunderstood as simply empathy, and it's presented as the capacity to feel in to someone else's pain and sorrow as if it was our own. But in the Buddhist tradition, even as we may be feeling with and for another person, there is that underlying orientation to the relief of the suffering. So where possible, we do what we can to help ease or even release the pain. And it's this interplay of feeling with and imagining relief that helps protect us from empathy burnout or compassion fatigue. 
So the traditional phrases for compassion usually acknowledge the suffering and include the wish for it to be released. So, for example, very simply, one phrase, may you be free from your suffering. And traditionally, unlike with metta practice, just one phrase is used, and that same phrase is repeated over and over, again in relation to different categories of beings, and again gradually increasing the intensity of the difficulties and the challenges. And as we keep touching into that suffering, we're also learning how to release any reactivity in our own hearts and minds, and to keep orienting towards this aspiration of freedom from suffering. So in my own practice, I found it hard to get traction using just one standard phrase. So I developed my own set of phrases, and I'd like to share them now, just to explore and see if they might be useful for you too. So the phrases I use are, I'm aware of this pain, I care about this pain, may this pain release, and may I know peace. So we can shorten those this to a four-part process. It's aware, care, release, peace. And I came up with that set of phrases as a way to help soften some of the difficulties that I experienced in my own compassion practice. So the first two phrases help to show any resistance to being with the pain. And the second two phrases provide a reminder that we're orienting to moving beyond the pain. So that first phrase, I'm aware of this pain, sometimes it's a kind of a test. Is that true? Is there a willingness to acknowledge it? And sometimes, in my own practice, the answer has been a giant neon no. I'm not willing to be aware of this pain. But even being able to see that is useful. Because again, unless we can recognize the resistance, we can't do anything to soften it. And if the resistance is super strong then wisdom might discern that actually this isn't the right time to be doing this practice. We might need to do another type of practice for a while to help soothe the heart and mind. And then when we're feeling more balanced, we can come back to the compassion practice. So the first phrase, I'm aware of this pain. The second phrase, I care about this pain. And this also is a kind of a test. Is that true? Do I care about it, or do I just want it to go away? And again, if we meet strong resistance here, we might need to approach this invitation to care very gently. So, for example, perhaps we might agree to care about this pain for just the next 10 seconds. That's all. And then after 10 seconds, we deliberately turn our attention to something more neutral or perhaps even pleasant so that we don't get overwhelmed by the pain. And just to name, this is not cheating, as people sometimes think. If it's done with discernment, with mindfulness, then it's an example of wise effort, balanced effort. But on the other hand, if there's a very clear lack of care about the pain, maybe even hostility to it, 
then again may not be the right time and we might literally or metaphorically bow out and come back to say mindfulness of the breathing for a while or perhaps go outside and do walking meditation or simply have a cup of tea. So whatever we choose to do, we're trying to do it with as much awareness as possible so that we're gently expanding our capacity to be with Dukkha. Because trying to force ourselves out of our comfort zones is actually a subtle form of violence and it's totally counterproductive. And if we do find ourselves in that terrain, then again we might want to take that strategic withdrawal and move away from the dukkha, the suffering, in whatever way we can. It's likely that that's not going to be our one and only opportunity to work with the pain. So it's fine to move away from it if and when we can. So then the third phrase, may this pain release, is the reminder that compassion practice is not intended to be a form of masochistic suffering for the sake of suffering. And while it's true that compassion is sometimes presented as the heart that vibrates in response to another's pain, it's not just empathy. Because if all we're doing is feeling fully into somebody else's pain, it can easily slide into the so-called near enemy of compassion, which is sorrow or grief or despair. So we want to make sure that the compassion is supported by wisdom so that we can stay balanced and not fall into overwhelm in the face of our own or other people's distress. And this balance comes about through mindfulness, through tuning in carefully to what's happening in the body, the heart, the mind, and noticing our relationship to the experience moment to moment. So in some ways this is a practice of whole body listening. It's an invitation to settle back and to receive experience. And, when appropriate, to respond rather than react. So to be clear, this receptivity is not passive. Because out of that deep listening, we come to intuit a skillful response. So as some of you know, later on in the Buddhist tradition, this link between wisdom and compassion, between listening and compassion, became more explicit in the image of Quan Yin. So she's the archetypal embodiment of compassion. And in the Zen tradition, she's sometimes known as she who hears the cries of the world. And it's said as that she listens as if she had ears on every cell of her body, which is quite a striking image. Listening as if she has ears on every cell of her body. But she doesn't only listen. She's also poised and ready to do whatever is necessary to relieve the suffering. So this connection between compassion and listening, I sometimes emphasize it's about tuning in to an existing quality, even if it might be very, very faint. And in my own compassion practice, it was a significant turning point when I stopped trying to conjure up compassion 
and instead try to listen more carefully to what was already there. Because as I've been emphasizing, it is a natural state of the heart and mind when the heart and mind are not visited by the afflictive states. So as a metaphor for this, I sometimes think of the Hubble telescope. And I'm not a science person, but as far as I understand it, the Hubble telescope is a very powerful piece of technology. And it's constantly scanning the universe and bringing back all kinds of new information. For example, about black holes and planets that are way out in the furthest reaches of the solar system. So in a similar way, we might think of compassion practice as being like turning that Hubble telescope into the deepest, darkest spaces of our own hearts and just seeing if we can find a very slight pulse of warmth. And it might be way, way, way in the distance. But as our compassion antenna gets more sensitive, we can amplify that signal. And that recognition brings it more into consciousness, strengthens it, and lets it fill more of the heart and mind. And as it does that, it becomes more and more possible for us to taste these moments of ease, openness, acceptance, even in the midst of pain and difficulty. So then the fourth phrase, may I know peace, reminds us of this possibility. And at times we can help ourselves in that direction by consciously imagining or visualizing ourselves living without whatever the pain, the stress, the distress, suffering is. We start to sense into what might it feel like to truly know peace. And as we visualize that as vividly as possible, we might sense into how it feels in our bodies and in the heart-mind, to get that very immediate sense of the release of suffering and how peace might be experienced. So that's what we're going to be practicing in a few minutes uh, with a short guided compassion meditation. And we'll again be using the traditional method of reciting phrases, similar to how we did earlier today with metta. But this time we'll be working with someone that we're close to, that we care about, but who's currently experiencing some kind of difficulty in their lives. So it could be a friend or a family member or a partner, someone you know quite well who's having a hard time at the moment. And in the phrases I use the word pain, but this refers not just to physical pain, but also emotional pain, any kind of difficulty or challenge. And again, because this is a gradual training, I encourage you not to choose someone who's going through the most extreme difficulty or crisis. So if we think of a scale of 0 to 10, where 10 is the most intense anguish, then try to find someone to work with who's a 5 or less. Okay, so let's give that a go.